Thank you, Ms. Carol and Ms. Green. I appreciate that much. Grab your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. And as we delve into this morning's message, John chapter 8, a message entitled, The Conscience, A Help, Hindrance, or Ultimate Authority. And uh, we'll get into that this morning. And I uh, hope you can join us. John chapter 8, and uh, we'll look here in just a moment. If you need a copy of the Scriptures, they're right there in front of you in the back of the pew. We'd love for you to grab a Bible. And we'll be looking at several passages this morning as we go rather slow through this, and uh, that way we grasp it. Okay, John chapter 8, if you look, find it, look up this way, wouldn't mind a smile, that'd be wonderful too. If you want to do that when you look up, thank you, very nice, excellent. Have you ever heard someone say something to this effect? I always follow my conscience. If you follow your conscience, you'll never go wrong. Now the question is, is that true, right? And, and we hear this in the world because it's, it is a common thought. They may not mention the term conscience, but the reality is many people do follow their conscience. We'll see that even this morning, this morning's message. See, there are also those who say, ah, oh, that conscience, that is the voice of God within. And they believe that it will guide them in, uh, in unerringly into all that is right. They think, if I just follow that conscience, that is it. However, the occasion happens when they are led astray by the conscience to the degree they do wrong or they cause harm to someone else, and those people can become very disillusioned. Now, listen to me carefully because we say, well, Pastor Henry, no one, I I haven't heard someone say, well, I I always follow my conscience. I I have, but uh, not as frequently as I hear people describe their reliance on the guidance of their conscience. What I mean by that? Well, the fact is this. Many, if not all of us, are guided by our conscience. We all have one. I believe it would to be a gift of God in many ways, a, a representation of the fact that we are created by a moral creator. Okay? So we have a conscience within us, and everybody does. And we may not say, well, I follow my conscience, but we'll say things that indicate that we do follow our conscience. In fact, there, if you, several of you, many of you are on social media and different platforms and things like that, you will run across these kinds of statements all the time. What they are alluding to is they have already formulated their conscience concerning something. Okay? We read statements such as this, well, I, I just don't feel like there is anything wrong with that. That's an indicator of someone being guided by their conscience. Uh, We go on. I just know that I shouldn't do that. A knowledge, a thought based upon where they have already determined in their conscience. How about this statement? I I just couldn't do that. It it just seems to me that it wouldn't be right. It just seems to me. I I, I formulated, I've come to that conclusion on my own mind and heart. And then uh, I, I just have a feeling that it is the right thing to do. Now listen to me. I have heard so many times people use these kinds of statements to bring a discussion to or a conversation to a close. We'll be discussing something. We'll be talking about whether something is right or wrong. And and certainly in our culture that we live in today, there is much amiss about what is right and wrong. And so in these conversations, even to the, the, the little decisions that you and I make as believers, as Christians, will come down to this and sometimes the discussion, well, I just feel, I just think, it just seems to me that this is the right thing to do. That is all fine and dandy, but let's call it what it is. You have just operated by your conscience. And your conscience that has been informed and educated by a moral truth that you have found and you have implemented into your own life. Understand it this way, because 
I, 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 it, you know, it's funny to me how many times I can read on social media or I'll have conversations with somebody and they'll say something just like this. Well, I just feel this is right. Now, that's fine, but let's identify where those feelings come from. Feelings, as we think about it, the, the feelings of the conscience, if we might put it this way, uh, we, we have to understand feelings don't operate independently of knowledge or other input. Very crucial. Feelings don't operate independently of knowledge or input. In other words, when I feel sad or happy, it didn't just happen. Okay? Uh, Hollywood and others would like to maybe make us think this. And why are you crying? I don't know. <laughs> now, there's reasons behind it. If we dig deep enough, there are. Okay? And uh, you can say, well, that something's chemically wrong. Yeah, but that's a reason, isn't it? There's an input. Okay, but for the most part, as we think about the feelings, if I'm happy or I'm sad or whatever feeling, I'm angry, there is an input that was there. There's a knowledge that came in that I gained. There was something that caused that. In fact, then it obviously affects our thinking. So we'd say, uh, we'd make this simple statement my feelings are dictated by my thinking. So these feelings connected with my conscience then are dictated by my thinking, the knowledge that I have entertained, the input that I have put in my mind and my heart. Uh, see, there's always thinking behind that helps produce the feelings. So when someone writes on social media, well, I, I just feel that this is right. What they are really saying is that feeling is based on thinking, knowledge, or thinking that is informed by the knowledge that I have come across and I have embraced. There's been input in my life. And so, you know, sometimes they say, well, it's hard to argue with feelings. No, it's not. The reality is even feelings are based on knowledge and input. I put some input and knowledge in here. So I, I find it funny because some people out in our world, in our culture, they, they just want to shut down the conversation. Well, I just feel that way. Well, let's analyze, let's boil it down to find out why do you feel this way. Friend, Christian, can I encourage you? Make sure in your own life you understand that. Make sure you understand about your feelings. That it is tied to your conscience, and your conscience is dictated, and your thinking is dictated by your knowledge, the, the input that you have. Don't let the world around us shut us down in our discussions about moral issues just because they feel something. Let's find out where those feelings are rooted. Let's talk to and expose the knowledge, often the erroneous knowledge, the erroneous information that they have formed their thinking and their conscience out of. Now, don't get lost here. This is crucial as we head into the new America. <laughs> this is crucial as we are dealing in culture and out in the public square, the things that, that we are facing, these issues and so forth. And an increasing environment in which having a healthy discussion of boiling down why we feel what we feel is taboo. They want us to think, well, oh, if someone feels that way, then we just need to respect their feelings. Can I tell you, my friend, feelings can be wrong. And feelings based upon the wrong information are wrong. Wrong knowledge that informs my conscience by which my feelings are produced from. So in the same way, can I just put it this way? Think about it. Let's make this statement. When I feel that something isn't right for me to do, that feeling originated somewhere. It's based upon some information or knowledge that I have gained that has informed my conscience, which then dictates my feeling, which in turn affects my decision of action. 
Okay? It's a great statement, and if you have five minutes, write it down, right? Okay, think on it, though. It is true. It's a great statement, not just because I wrote it down. But this is really, if we think, we step back, we analyze, we evaluate. We're, my action really goes all the way back to the knowledge I put in ahead of time. The thinking that developed my conscience in this area about what I think is right and right. We're going to see this from scriptures. We're going to see it from one of the most well-known people in the New Testament, too. And it's really true. And so, I, I, boy, I, my heart is that you and I would grasp that today. Because as we'll see, boy, God has given us the gift of a conscience, but my goodness, sometimes it can be a hindrance. God intends it to be a help, but it can be a hindrance if it is not well informed. We jump ahead, but let's understand. Let's, let's ask this. Okay, say, Pastor Henry, what is the conscience then? We're talking about conscience. What, what is this conscience that each man possesses? Well, interesting, the Bible mentions it a lot in the New Testament. Many times over, there, there's many references to it, and I'll just share with you a sampling of those, and we'll look at the first one. John chapter 8, look at verse number 9, if you will, with me. John chapter 8, and, and here in verse number 9. And they which heard it, being convicted, okay, let's just stop there because I don't know about you, I like to know context, okay? And they, who's that? Well, if you look up above this passage, this is the woman taken in adultery, verse four, uh, verse four, okay? And here we have the leaders, the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees are questioning Christ. What should we do with her? What should we do with her? How are we gonna handle this? And this is in response to it, okay? Now, verse nine, and they which heard it being convicted, notice it, by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst, and we know it well. He goes, where are your accusers? Go thou and, and, and sin no more. Okay. So notice, though, the statement. We want to focus in on verse number 9. Their conscience convicted them. Now, wait a second. The conscience, that feeling of conviction, now, don't miss this. They felt guilt. They felt conviction. How, what produced the guilt in the conviction? The conscience. What informed their conscience? To feel that way. Don't miss it. Jesus Christ just spoke. Remember what he said? You without sin cast the first stone. You who are without sin, you throw the first stone. And then he drew something land. We can argue about if he drew, wrote something there, whatever the case may be. At the very least, the word of God was this. You who haven't sinned, throw the first stone. And I just imagine, in my juvenile imagination, I, I think that they were like holding stones and all of a sudden, drop. <laughs> one by one, the stones just dropped everywhere. The oldest walk out and they, each one follows and so on. Now listen, why did that happen? Because they felt guilt, conviction. Why did they feel guilt and conviction? Because their conscience was pricked. Why was it convict? Because they had the right information going in. Let him that was without sin cast the first stone. Literally Christ saying, well, well who are you to judge? you got a beam sticking out of your eye. Be careful, Fred. God's word forming that great illustration of the conscience coming to bear being a great help in an instance producing a right feeling that moved me to the right action. The right action. Uh, look up here, Acts chapter 23 and verse 1. Or excuse me, verse 20, or verse 1, yes. Acts 23, verse 1. Notice what it says. And Paul 
earnestly beholding the council. Now, this is the Sanhedrin, more religious leaders. And he said, men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God unto this day. Now, that's a great statement, okay? And we can't go into context fully, but he's given an account. They've, they've hauled him before the council. And in the next verse, the high priest Ananias commands that he be smitten. <laughs> because, well, well, who can say they have a good conscience before God? May I tell you, my friend, you and I ought to strive to have a good conscience before God. That's what it said. And Paul's just, I mean, this, I ought to have that. And I do. I, I've, been li- I've been doing right. You've brought me here to try to get me in trouble, but I have a good conscience concerning these things that you are trying me for before God. A good conscience. Look at Romans chapter 2 and verse 15. It's speaking of the Gentiles, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness. So of the law of God, of sin, right and wrong, from Romans chapter uh, 2, our very elongated study in Romans on Wednesday nights, and their thoughts, the meanwhile, accusing or else excusing one another. Their conscience is the proof of the moral law that a moral God put in all of his creation as far as mankind's concerned. It's there, that conscience bears record. Romans chapter 9 and verse 1, he says this, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. I love this because Paul is saying, if you remember Romans chapter 9, he says, listen, I, I, I would gladly be a curse for the nation of Israel. The next verse, verse 2, he says, I have heaviness of heart, I, I want Israel to be saved. He says, my conscience bears witness to that being my desire, that I want all of the nation of Israel to, to be saved. My conscience testifies to that reality okay so what does that merely do these verses a sampling exposes for us the bible establishes that we have a conscience that all of us have a conscience okay sadducees pharisees the uh, paul several times over and we can look at a multitude more so we all have that so what is that conscience what is it how would we define it Well, some, for simplicity's sake, have defined it as this. It is a God-given sense of oughtness. Literally, the thought that I ought to do that and I ought not to do that, that conscience helps me. It's a moral compass, we might say, that helps me to know, yeah, that's a good thing to do and that's not. I ought not to do that and I ought to do that. They would add this description to it. It's an inward conviction that there is such a thing as right and wrong. They would argue that all people have this sense of our uh, oughtness. And I agree, I, that is exactly right. God has created us with that. Now, some has become corrupted, some has been defiled, some has been hardened. But the reality is, most people have some sense of right and wrong. Just the problem is, in our world with sin, what happens? Right becomes wrong, and wrong becomes right. Okay. Romans explains that. Boy, we've, we've turned it up on itself. We've gotten it inside and out. We've messed this all up. We've turned what is right into wrong and what is wrong into right. But that is there, this sense that something is right and something is wrong, okay? And they establish that it's a common possession of all people, and certainly it is. This inward sense produces then an obligation to do what is right and avoid what is wrong. That feeling, that obligation, I, I, can't, I just can't do that. I don't feel that's right. I can't do that. It's an obligation to enforce this is right and this is wrong. So it's a feeling that is exposed from my conscience or developed from my conscience would be a better way of putting it. Okay? So that's a very simplistic definition of what is a conscience. I think one of the better ones comes from Unger's Bible Dictionary. And he describes here uh, the conscience that is that a proposed act is not conformable to one's ideal of what is right. 
And certainly it goes hand in hand with that last definition. But I like what he adds to it. He says it's manifested in the feeling of obligation or duty, much like that initial definition we gave. I have an obligation to do what is right, to avoid what is wrong. Okay? And, uh, but then he says this. It is an exercise of the judgment and power of feeling employed with reference to moral truth. Now, my friends, therein is the key. This is the exercise of my judgment. Is it right or is it wrong? And my feeling that helps me discern that, and it's all based upon moral truth. You see, when I am faced with a decision to do something, uh, I can feel uh, that what I should do is based on the moral truth that I have. It's a great statement. It's employed with reference to moral truth. Uh, We act upon ones, don't miss this terminology, moral sense. What's my moral sense? I have a moral sense. And so I, I, I judge based upon that. Then I have feelings, the power of feelings that are then derived from that. Paul put in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 14, he refers to the discerning of both good and evil. So that it produces a discernment of what I believe to be good and evil. Okay? Now, here's the question. Here's the question for 2021 in America and around the world. It's this question. Can man's moral sense differ? So if my conscience is the power of feeling, my duty to obligation of what is wrong, all based upon moral truth, can one's moral truth or moral sense differ? That is, in, is there variance in the moral sense of one person to another? Because that then says, uh-oh, if there is, then something's not right sometimes with what we put in. So let me put it this way. Just ask different people at your work, Maybe in your neighborhood, maybe even in your family, how they feel about lying. Well, it's okay if it's just a small lie, maybe somebody said. Their judgment, if, it's gonna, if a lie is going to help somebody else out, then it's okay. That's a moral judgment. That's a feeling based upon the moral sense or truth that someone has introduced to their conscience. What about stealing? Well, I mean, it's okay, it's okay if it's under $5. <laughs> Oh, it's okay if it's for the good, if it's for the greater good. It's okay if you really are needing that. Do you see all the moral judgments that can take place? Well, I just feel it really wasn't stealing because of this, this, and this. You ever hear somebody say that? For instance, let's just put it very practical, okay? An employee says, well, you know what? I don't think I get paid enough. I don't think this happens enough at work, so I'm going to steal from the workplace because I feel they owe it to me. Do you realize that that is a feeling based upon a conscience that has been erected on a moral truth that is suspect? Yea, is wrong. They owe it to me. So all of our feelings, and there be, we'll find all kinds of people that differ in their opinions, uh, what we would call their moral sense, what their conscience dictates on these things. Let's get a little bit more specific when it comes to our world today. What about adultery? What about homosexuality? What about all the issues of today? What about abortion? Well, I just feel like if this was the case, I just feel like, boy, wait a second, where does that feeling come from? What kind of conscience is it based upon? Let's be honest today, you and I can look in our neighborhoods, go to our workplace, we can look on social media, and we'll find all kinds of moral senses. 
We'll find the whole gamut. Well, it'll, it'll cover the whole spectrum of people who say, well, I believe this is right during this situation and this relative here. It, it's okay here and it's not okay. My goodness, we'll run into it all. These, honestly, is, there are things even in this room we probably couldn't even talk about. Because we have erected certain things like tractors, Amen. What we believe is the best tractor. I mean, there's, we, we can form a moral sense about everything. The big things like lying and cheating and all those things, adultery, and, but also small things, okay? Think about it for a second. In fact, let me just share one with you. I think this there. Pastor Aaron, can you hand me a giving envelope? Is there one in front of you there? Fantastic. All right. Okay, so uh, <laughs> I grew up in church, okay? I'm a preacher's kid and so forth. For the longest time, and even honestly still today, when I, <laughs> now listen, would you just bear with me, okay? This is not a judgment statement. This is not a soapbox thing, anything like that. I'm just sharing with you how our moral sense can change, okay? Whenever I am walking up and down these pews and, and after a service or during the week or whatever the case may be, I, I will find sometimes these offing envelopes doodled on, some pictures and things. And I'll tell you, my conscience is like, oh. You say, why in the world? From the earliest age, my mom said, don't do that. That's not what that, in fact, she put it in a moral sense. That belongs to God. Woo. I'm white writing on God's paper. Now that's serious business. Now listen, listen, listen to me. You may not have that same conviction, feeling, but I'll tell you, in Stephen Henry, 40 old, every time I see that, my kids reach for that. No. Oh, my conscience just goes crazy. Now, you say, oh, Pastor Henry, what's a little something? You may be right, but I'm just telling you, my conscience has been informed a long time ago, and it may have been reinforced <laughs> anyway, <laughs> in different ways, amen? <laughs> okay, uh, the Board of Education applied to the seat of learning. Let's just leave it at that, okay? And uh, that may, that may, I, I remember things like that, and, and that, that, that's about something little like that. Your conscience may not prick you about that. that my point is not that. If your child's duty on and they're hiding it right now, that's not my point. Okay, please don't mistake it. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just telling you, boy, our moral sense can differ, can it? Right? In our world today, is there not a moral sense that differs? Right and wrong is defined differently, diametrically opposed at times? So that then tells us what? Now, here's, here's the point of that. What does that tell me about my conscience? Okay? Um, let me go on to this. Okay? What does that tell us about our conscience? It really should never be viewed as an absolute authority. So crucial. My feelings can't not be an absolute authority. Did you hear that? Hey, generations, younger generations, your feelings should not be an absolute authority because they are informed by a conscience. But if your conscience is ill-informed, we've got problems because your feelings are off. <gasps> Don't tell me how to feel. You're talking about my feelings. Listen, your feelings, just like mine, originate in thinking and thinking originates in input or knowledge we would put it this way why why should it not be an absolute authority because it can be both well informed 
and ill-informed. So I can't treat it like an absolute authority unless I know that it is informed by the Word of God. I know that, that God has had the input, and then, hey, it's in tune with the Holy Spirit and with God's Word. And when that's the case, you believe I can follow. We'll, we'll talk more about that. Look with me, if you will, 1 Timothy chapter 1. I told you we'd look at several passages. Let's see some places where the Bible makes this clear about our conscience kind of wavering. That it can be right sometimes, but it can be wrong sometimes. 1 Timothy chapter number 1. Turn with me there. 1 Timothy chapter number 1. Okay, we'll look at verse number 19. 1 Timothy chapter number 1 and verse number 19. Notice what it says, and Paul speaking to Timothy, and he, he commits the charge to him in verse 18, um, be a mighty in war, um, do a war, good warfare, verse 18. Verse 19, okay? Holding f- faith and a good, excuse me, conscience, which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck. Now, there is something that is here that isn't there. You say, oh, now, Pastor Henry, you really lost me. What do you mean by that? Well, there's something that this, state, this verse makes perfectly clear that isn't here. You say, what is that? Well, think about it. The very use, now think with me, the very use of the adjective good to describe the conscience necessitates the existence of what? A bad conscience. Why make a, a clear, the passage we read a few moments ago, why would he clarify and say, well, hold fast to faith and make sure you have a good conscience like paul wrote i have a good conscience before god before or he said before that council he necessitates it why well that necessitates the reality of a bad or a evil conscience in fact the bible would describe it as an evil or defiled conscience why else would he make the clarification then he goes on some have what put away a good conscience that's what the verse said did you catch it they have put away a good conscience and and how does he vividly describe it in their faith they have become what shipwrecked shipwrecked they've gotten off course they they're not continued down the path because they've laid aside the good conscience they've become shipwrecked and he even gives us a few examples verse number 20 of whom is hymenius and alexander whom i've delivered unto satan that they may learn not to blaspheme Uh oh somewhere down the way hymenius and alexander said they, they they justified their blaspheme and in their own conscience didn't prick them. They've laid aside a good conscience. And Paul says, listen, they've become shipwrecked in the faith. The existence of an evil or bad conscience is clear in scriptures. Turn with me to chapter 4, verse number 2. Chapter 4, verse number 2 of the same book. 1 Timothy 4, 2. It says this, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Now, that doesn't sound fun. It's cauterized. It's a conscience that, that is... Now, you say, well, Pastor Hunery, who is he talking about? Well, this is very pertinent to you and I today. Look at verse 1. Notice what he says. Now, the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Woo! The last times, there's going to be some who, who give in to the wrong doctrine. They believe the wrong thing. They start feeling and, and thinking the wrong thing. And he says their conscience has been seared with a hot iron. It's been hardened. It's been cauterized. Literally, the term means they have become insensible to the right feelings from the moral sense 
or law, truth that is found in the Word of God. Now, isn't that amazing? Paul's saying in the end times, there's going to be people running around not with a good conscience, but a seared conscience. There's going to be Christians who are espousing doctrines and things that aren't lining up with Scripture. Like, man, you know what we say sometimes? Man, I can't believe they believe that. And, and I, they're a Christian. Guess what, friend? A Christian can have an evil conscience. If you inform it and allow that knowledge to be based on the wrong thing, you can have a, a seared conscience. That's what Paul is bringing out here. I've turned them over to the devil. I, I've allowed the devil to be the arm of chasing, the means of chasing in their life. It's a challenge for you and I to be careful. It makes sure that our, our conscience is a help, not a hindrance. He goes on and he, he points out to Titus. Turn with me to Titus just over a little bit more. Titus, a few pages to the right. Titus chapter 1, look at verse number 15. Titus chapter 1 and verse number 15. This is a great statement about our conscience being defiled. Verse 15, unto the pure, all things are pure. But unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their thinking, their mind and conscience is defiled. See, the conscience can be defiled to the point of it being a hindrance. When the moral sense that informs us is not the moral truth in the teachings of God's word. And here is the key. Don't miss it. And we'll expound. I haven't told you yet, but the second part of this message is coming up tonight. Some of you thought we were going to be here till one. Okay. It's coming tonight. Part two, I, I, I rather separated the two, get into teaching. We'll explain a little bit later, but we'll get into this more. But here's reality. Okay. My conscience can be a hindrance. Why? Because we will gain our moral sense from something. All of us. You are not living in a human being without having informed your conscience one way or the other and informed it by a moral sense, a moral thought from something. It can be God's word. It can be flesh and sin nature. It can be the world. It can be others. It can be experience. All of that informs that thought of a moral sense. Whatever the source is, now don't miss it, whatever the source is will determine what kind of conscience you have. Good. Evil, defiled, corrupted, pure, weak. All of these are found in the Scripture. A good conscience, a weak conscience, a defiled conscience, a seared conscience, a, a pure conscience. Paul added, you remember the verse we studied some time ago, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 22? Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. What? Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Aren't you grateful that the day you and I came to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, Jesus saved us, he sprinkled our evil conscience. Some of those things we thought were, were right before we found out were wrong. Some of the things we thought were, were wrong, we found out were right. Why? Because now we have been exposed to the moral truth of God. Even in salvation. You know, some people have come before they were saved. I'm a pretty good person. If, anybody should let in, if God should let anybody in heaven, I've done a new good, enough good works. Can I tell you? Their conscience was wrong. Their feeling was wrong. And they came exposed to God's word. And guess what? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now I have the knowledge, the input, the moral sense to operate. My conscience looks at me, oh, my goodness, if that's true, for all have sinned to come short of the glory of God, and that the penalty of sin is death, then I'm going to hell. I need to trust in Jesus Christ, that whosoever shall believe on his name shall be saved. Isn't it funny how the conscience even comes to play in salvation? If we allow it, it's informed by the right moral sense and moral law. 
And this happens time and time again throughout scriptures. And that's literally what Paul is referring to here. It's been washed of the evil conscience. That is the product of our own fleshly and carnal thinking, even our worldly thinking. When we get saved. Now what we don't want to do is put in more junk and get junk out. We don't want to revert to that as a believer and, and accept it like Hymenius and Alexander allow our, 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 our conscience to be uh, seared, allow it to be defiled by putting in the wrong things. Now, here's what's interesting. Paul is the great example of this. Turn with me to Acts chapter 26. And boy, I want you to see this. If you fall in a seat, wake up, please. You need to see this. Acts chapter 26. Look with me. We're looking at verse number 9. Acts chapter, I, I love this because Paul is giving his, uh, his testimony. He's talking about the change, the growth that has taken place in his life. He is talking to King Agrippa. And we know that King Agrippa's heart was gripped by what Paul said. Almost, you persuade me. And I, certainly it worked in his heart and life. Now, now listen to this. Now, let's read what Paul says. It's a reflection, a remembrance of his life, the growth that has taken place. Acts chapter 26, look at verse number 9 with me. I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which thing I also did in Jerusalem. And many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priest. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them, and I punished them oft or often in every synagogue, and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. Whoa, a boatload of proof. You say, what do you mean? Did you catch the last verse? What was his feeling? I was mad. Now listen, I, I'm angry, I'm mad. That's what Paul's saying. I was mad at them. You ever seen someone mad? Don't point or raise your hand, amen? Yeah. Paul says, I'm mad. That's why I treated them the way I did. Now, now here's the kicker for me. Remember what we said was the a simple definition of a conscience? A sense of oughtness look back at verse number nine he says i did these things because i thought with himself he says with myself what i ought to do them now listen you know what that brings up brings up a huge dilemma if we think the conscience should be an absolute authority you know what Paul's saying? Here's my feeling. I'm mad at these Christians. They are, they're defiling God. And, and that is produced by a conscience and oughtness that I ought to put them to death. And I ought to do that. I mean, listen, did you read what he did? His conscience said, this is what you should do. His conscience persuaded him, guided him in persecuting Christians. He threw them in prison. I think, well, some people don't realize, my, Paul was literally the instrument of death for many Christians. He said, I stood up in court and I testified against them. Yep, they worship God. He needs to be put to death. Yep, she worshiped God. Yep, that whole family, they worship God. They're a follower of Jesus Christ. Put them to death. How can Paul do that? Well, I guess if his conscience told him to do it, he was right. Is that not what we see today? Hey, if, the, my, if that's how you feel, Paul, if that's how you felt, then that must be okay. What a sick world we live in, amen? Well, hey, if you feel, if you think you ought to do that, then who are we to stand in your way? My friend, God's word stands in the way. 
That's the moral sense. And every conscience must be informed by the very word of God. You see, the world around us, our flesh even tells us the litmus test, the barometer for whether something is right or is wrong is what I think, what I feel, what my conscience dictates for me. I ask you, is what Paul did, his conscience told him to do, was it right? No way. In fact, it is the very reason Paul later would write, I am the chief of sinners. I sinned against God. I did this to Christians, and yet my conscience, well, Paul, it's okay. Your conscience told you to do it. Paul says, no way. No. That's not, no, no, no. I was wrong. I sinned. I did wrong. When he came to be exposed to the very moral sense of God. Paul makes a very great case for you and I. Let me ask you this. Well, Pastor Henry, there's so many people who feel things and they think things and they are so sincere. Let me ask you, was Paul sincere? Yeah, he was sincerely wrong. A whole lot of people today whose conscience is informed by the wrong thing and they are sincere. I give them that, but they are sincerely wrong. But I feel, but I think, it seems to me. Be careful. That conscience ought not to be your absolute authority. Maybe uh, it is, okay, I've already mentioned that. It is clear. It is clear that our conscience is not an absolute authority, nor is it the voice of God within. Listen, friend, you know this as well as I do. God has given us the voice of God within. It's called the Holy Spirit. And the conscience can be a great tool in the hands of the Holy Spirit. But the conscience by itself is not the voice of God. The Holy Spirit is the voice of God. That can be your absolute authority in the Word of God. You know what else? It can be a hindrance. It's not an absolute authority. It can be a hindrance if it is defiled or an evil conscience. Yet the reality is this true. God gave us this conscience to be a great help. He wants it to be. And I'm thankful for it. The conscience can prove to be a great help. We're going to look at that tonight. And, and I'll tell you, friend, it is extremely informative from God's word how you and I can take this conscience that God has given us and say, okay, I want to use it and I will allow it to be a help to me. Okay? But let me skip ahead. Uh, Miss Rebecca, can you take me to slide 19, the today's takeaways? That would be wonderful for you to do that quickly. Hey, um, in just a second, okay, uh, we'll share this with you. Here's what we want to take away this morning, build upon. We want to understand. Number one is this. Know what your conscience is. Know what it is. So that when others tell you, I just feel this way, identify. They're they're speaking of what their conscience has dictated to them, persuaded them. uh, When they might even say, well, for conscience sake, I need you to do this. Well, understand what it is. Then don't trust it, your own conscience, until it's well educated with the moral truth of God. We'll see that tonight. We'll talk about how you can do that and, and so forth. And then other ways that it's informed that we've got to be careful about. Very important truths. So number one, know what your conscience is. Identify what it is. That oughtness that needs to be informed by moral truth from God's word. Number two, don't trust it until it is well educated. Then number three, work at using it as the tool that it is. It's a great help in life. 
It is a great help in this Christian walk that God has called us to live and to walk, and God wants you to use it. Tonight, we'll look a little bit more at how to do that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so very much for your word. We're grateful for the, uh, the instructions uh, of this uh, topic, of our conscience that each of us have. Lord, I pray that we would strive to make sure that our conscience is well-informed. That we would ensure that your word, your truth is what guides and directs our thinking, produces our conscience obligations, and then Father would produce our feelings and actions. And that would move us to live and act in such a way. Lord, I pray right now as we enter into this invitation that you would speak to the heart of a Christian who is operated by the wrong feelings. They've allowed wrong feelings, maybe from a seared conscience, maybe from a a, a defiled conscience. Lord, I pray you convict them of that. Reveal that to them. And Lord, may they get it straight this morning. Father, I pray for those of us maybe who've been stumped a little bit in talking with someone, maybe in, in speaking of what your word says to a culture that has rejected your word. Father, I pray we'd have a little bit more understanding and comprehension of what lies behind it, below the surface. Lord, may we be, bring it down to what it is, a moral issue. Father, I pray that each one of us would commit to studying your word, to show ourselves approved unto you in this way, that we have the moral sense, the moral law that you have given us hidden in our hearts, that we would ensure that our conscience is well informed so that the feelings we have are right feelings, good feelings, feelings that don't lie and don't hurt. Father, I just pray that you do a mighty work in your church this morning. Strengthen us in our knowledge, our understanding. Strengthen us in our practical application of the truths of your word. And Father, we praise you this morning for the gift of this conscience that you've given us. Now bless us.